Thank you for tuning in to the sermon podcast from Redeeming Hope. We exist as a family of faith that follows Jesus and helps others find him by living all of life as missionaries of hope. If you want more information about our church or would like to support our ministry, go to our website at redeeminghope.org. Please enjoy this sermon podcast. Hello, I'm Derek Levandusky. It is great to be here with you today. I want to thank Josh for the honor and privilege of bringing the Word of God to you today. We're going to be in Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 8. And if I titled my message today, I would title it, Slaves No More. Slaves No More. As you're turning there, uh, I just want to help you get to know me and my family a little bit. Uh, my, wife and I, my wife Heidi and I have been married for 27 years, uh, six children. We're, we're so blessed by the Lord Uh, His grace has been abundant to us in our home and in our hearts uh, as we've walked with the Lord for many years together. Uh, We, my wife and I, were in full-time music ministry for 15 years, traveling all over uh, America. Um, I've been over 20 countries. And uh, in year 2010, we planted a church called Grace Life Church in western New York through the Acts 29 movement. And I was lead pastor there for 11 years. And at the end of 2020, in December of 2020, my wife and I just began talking. We just felt a a fresh stirring in our hearts for a new chapter in our lives uh, and to plant again. Long story short, we ended up right here in Clarksville. And we're just so excited about all that God is doing here. We're so thankful and excited to be here in this city uh, to come alongside of those who are serving the Lord Jesus Christ and his kingdom in this city and work together for the glory of his name. And uh, I'm also excited because this is actually the first time that I get to preach in Clarksville, and I want to thank Josh for that opportunity to do that. Uh, We've been here for a couple months just unpacking boxes and kind of connecting with people, but this is the first time that I get to preach the gospel here, and I get to do that here with you today, and I'm so grateful and excited about that. So if you would look with me at Titus chapter 3 and verse 3, Paul writes to Titus, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of our God, of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for all people. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, we just submit our hearts to you and your Holy Spirit, and we ask, Father, that you would just breathe on this time together in your word, that wisdom and light would come, and you'd shape us through the gospel. Father, we pray for grace for the speaker and hearer alike, as we are weak and need your spiritual power to work through this gathering together around your word. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, right away in this text, we get to see what God is like And what we're like, what's God like? Well, look in verse four, it says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. I remember just a few years ago, I was talking to a woman in Avon, New York, where we were from, and 
Uh, she was not a follower of Jesus. She had rejected church and rejected the scriptures and rejected the gospel. And I just began to talk to her about why, and she talked about some of the very condemning and, in, in her perspective, judgmental experiences she had with uh, people in the church or with Christians. And I, I opened to a text like this one, and, and I asked her to, to read it out loud. It says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, And I asked her the question, does that sound at all like the God that you were handed? Like the God that was described to you? She said, no, it doesn't. I said, maybe you've never known him at all. And her heart began to open to spiritual things and began to open to the gospel. Now, sometimes we just need to have our God picture fixed. Satan is a liar and there's lies all around culture, all around this world that, that want to distract and, and destroy people from seeing the true nature of who God is. And the scripture right here tells us what he's like. He's good and he's full of loving kindness. Do you know him that way? Is that the God that you know? Or maybe you're like my friend who was handed a false picture of God that isn't the God of the Bible at all. So that's a little bit of what he's like and it'll take us an eternity to get to know him truly. And, and more fully. But what are we like? Here's what we're going to see in this text today. I want, to, I want us to look at three things. Number one, we're going to see what we're like according to this text of Scripture. We're going to see what God did to rescue us. And number three, I want to look at what the effect of all that is. So, what are we like, what God did, and what the effect of that is? So, let's look at this idea. What does this text say about what we're like? And I'm going to speak very plainly to you today because I think the scriptures speak to us plainly. This text shows us clearly that we are slaves to sin without the Lord Jesus Christ. Apart from him, we're enslaved by sin. And what I mean by that is we're under the control and the authority of our own sinful nature. Ephesians uh, two says we're dead in our trespasses and sins. So it doesn't say we're just sick. It says we're, we're dead. Look at the symptoms Paul lays out in this text. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. This is so tragic. This is so hurtful that this is the world we live in and this is who we are in our fallen state, apart from intervening grace. And in some ways, Paul is coming like a doctor, and he's saying, well, the test results are back, and it's bad. It's it's really bad. It's so bad that your only hope is the grace of God. Paul is not saying here, like our culture often says, like they say it in every public school graduation speech every year, you've got this, you can do it, trust the human spirit, just cowboy up and, and you just do a little better and you've got this. None of that here. Paul's not saying that at all. He's not saying just try harder. The gospel doesn't say try harder, do better. The gospel says you're a slave, you're dead in your trespasses and sins and you need a hero to save you, you need resurrection power. The gospel is good news it's not good advice, right? Advice is, here's what you should do to improve your life. You do these five things and you'll improve. And unfortunately, that's, that's what a lot of the doctrine of some churches today is. And, and it's, it's the doctrine of many uh, you know, famous teachers you see on, 
on TV or here on radio. Not all of them, but there's a lot of that kind of teaching going on. You can do itism. The gospel's good news. It's not something you do. It's something that's been done. It's news. It's not good advice. It's good news. Something that has been done and what has been done, but that Jesus Christ was crucified in accordance with the scriptures for our salvation. You know, it's sort of like I got this coat here. This coat, without me inside of it, you know, moving it around, this coat is absolutely helpless. Now, I might try to tell it to do something. You know, let, let's try. Let's see, how, let's see how coat does without me inside. Ready? Coat, dance. Here we go. Dance. It's, it, it's not working. Now, let's try something else. Coat, you need to run. Okay, you need to run well. Ready? Run, coat. I'm going to disappear for a second while I grab coat. Coat's not doing so good. Coat, do your chores. Coat, be holy. Coat, be righteous. Coat, do good works. See, unless I'm inside of the coat, I'll just put one arm in here. When I'm inside, the coat can do things. When I'm not inside, the coat is absolutely helpless. And that's what Paul's really saying to us here. Without Jesus Christ and his work and his spirit at work inside of us through his power and, and what the scriptures call here regeneration, we're slaves, we're dead. We're helpless without him. But then the text says, but. Do you see it? It's, it's beautiful, it's stunning. We ourselves were foolish, disobedient, we, we were hated by others. We were hating one another. But, oh, thank God. Thank God for that word. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, God intervened. This word, but, it's a transitional. It, it, th- this text of scripture goes from a minor key to a major key after that word, but. Because it, it means that God came in. God intervened. God stopped what was happening because of his love and mercy and grace. We have examples of this kind of heroic intervention all around us in society, don't we? You know, a few years back, there's a movie made about this. A famous story that came out of New York was Captain Sullivan, uh, the pilot who, after a bird strike, you know, with the plane flying out of JFK, had to land in the Hudson River, you know, in the state that we came from in New York. And of course, it's gone all over the world, his story. And it's just this amazing, uh, heroic uh, moment for Captain Sullivan The plane was going down, but, Captain Sullivan, but there was a hero who knew what to do. There was a hero who stepped in. Maybe you're a football fan. The Titans were losing the game, but Ryan Tannehill, but Derrick Henry, right, took the ball and and saved the game. We were slaves to sin, but God in his goodness and loving kindness what a savior. See, it's important to see our slavery if we're ever truly going to understand grace. I'll say it this way. If you don't understand the this, this slavery and the spiritual death, the state that we were in outside of Christ, then the cross will never make sense to you. Grace will never be beautiful to you. Matter of fact, it might even look stupid. If you think that you, you've just got it in yourself to just, if you could just 
twist the right nut or bolt or turn the switch on somewhere, you could figure out the problems of your own soul. That's how our world thinks, and that's why the cross looks dumb to some people. But when we understand our depravity, we understand how fallen we are, what Paul is teaching here, that we're slaves to sin, we see the necessity and the beauty of grace and the cross. Matter of fact, uh, there's this story uh, about this progressive group of Christians that um, wanted to change the lyrics to the song Amazing Grace in their you know, liberal church movement. And the problem they had with the song was that word wretch. You know that, that word? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch. Like who? Like me. They're like, you can't call yourself a wretch. That, that, that's not good for self-esteem. That'll destroy your psyche and your, you know, that, that'll, that'll just ruin your life. And I thought about that. And I thought, well, you know, if you change the word grace, you've got to change other words because the grace isn't amazing anymore, right? It's, it's sort of like... Average grace, or I don't know, mediocre grace. Uh, I guess you have to change, it was blind, you can't say blind, you can't call yourself blind, you gotta change it to visually impaired, you know, some of these more PC phrases and words. My point is this, the grace ain't amazing if the wretch ain't a wretch. So only when we see the wretchedness, the slavery, the spiritual death, does grace look beautiful, does the cross look stunning and electrify your heart where you begin to walk out the mission of Jesus Christ, which is the mission of this church that I just heard Josh talk about before I came up here, reaching others for Christ. Your heart will be electrified by the power of the cross when you see that you needed a hero to save you because you were a slave. A few years ago, let me bring this in the family and just maybe help some of you parents. Um, A few years ago, uh, my son Reese uh, was having a problem being mean to his sister. Um, and I always ask Reese for, or my kids for permission to share stories about him. So uh, uh, he, I have his permission. So um, I brought my son Reese to the bathroom, which is where we have these kind of conversations and, and, and these moments of discipline. And it was the third day in a row he was mean to his sister, Audrey. <clears throat> and I said, Reese, what's going on? And he, he was ashamed of himself. I, I don't know, Dad. I, I said, you were mean to her again. I talked to you about this yesterday and the day before. I know, Dad, I know. I said, do you want to be a mean big brother? Is that who you want to be? No, Dad, no, I don't. He's starting to get tears in his eyes. I said, then why are you doing this? He said, I don't know. Romans 7, the good I want to do, I can't do evil's right there with me. My son was in Romans chapter 7, broken from sin and his inability to keep the law, even though he wanted to. So I said, then, then what's the solution? And, and I'm, these are moments when I want to gospel my kids, right? When I want, to, I want to inject a view of grace and not self-salvation. His answer was, I need to do better. I said, no, no, don't, don't you see, Reese? And I was able to point to a text like this. I said, you're a slave. You've proven that. You can't stop doing Sinful, wicked things, you can't stop. You're broken. The answer is not inside of you, son. What is the answer? He said, I need Jesus to help me. I said, that's your only answer. I said, let's pray that Jesus would help you to have the grace to become something you've proven you can't be in yourself. There's a difference, and that is the difference between raising a religious kid who eventually hates God and a true Christian who loves Jesus and sees him as a hero. 
My son has to see the difference, and so do you, and so do your kids. The difference between Jesus being a moral example and Jesus being a substitute. Jesus is our substitute, not simply our moral hero. If I just raise a religious kid, then I'll give him the law, and I'll point to his own willpower, and I'll say, you're the answer, son. You're the answer, daughter. Just dig deep. Do better. You've got this. Just try harder. I promise you'll get it at some point. And he won't. All I'm doing is reinforcing the idea of self-salvation. It's like telling Coat to dance. It's like telling Coat to run. My son is helpless. You and I are helpless. We've got the disease of spiritual slavery. So that's who we are. Let's look at what God did. What did God do? Look in the text, and the first thing you'll see is that there was spiritual power involved to intervene for our salvation. So it paints this picture of our slavery, and then in verse five it says, and he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. So the change that happened here didn't come because the person finally figured it out, but because God from the outside came in like a hero and affected his power and his spirit upon the heart of this fallen person who is spiritually dead. And he uses this word regeneration, renewal, by the, the spirit of God. So there's a spiritual power at work in this person's salvation. Without the power of God working in our salvation and in our lives, can I show you what it looks like? It looks like this. We all know what this is, right? It's a multi-strip. For this thing to have any purpose or use at all, this has to be plugged into an outlet. But here's the way a lot of people approach life. Oh, just plug that right in. Not only am I talking to people who don't know Jesus, this is certainly the, the, the doctrine of America right here. You've got this. Plug into yourself. It's, it's deep within somewhere. Believe in yourself. This is also the, the experience of many Christians, of legalism and, and moralism. Nothing wrong with morals, but when you add the ism, that means that's the fundamental way in which you approach God and seek salvation and sanctification. So that's the difference. This is moralism. This is legalism. This is false religion that teaches self-salvation through your obedience and works as a means of righteousness. You're trusting in yourself as a power source. We know this is ridiculous. Then why don't we see that it's ridiculous spiritually? This, that's what this text is showing us. We need God's power. It's called regeneration. In verse seven, Paul says, being justified, that's another word for salvation. It's another way to say salvation. I'll explain that a little bit. Being justified by, how? His Grace. What is grace? I think maybe a lot of us have heard the traditional definition of unmerited favor. I like to also expand that definition and say unmerited power. It's getting power outside of yourself, power that you didn't work for or that you don't deserve. Another way to say it is it's unearned love from God. And that's how John Christ's apostle describes his relationship with God. He says, we love him because he first loved us. In other words, God's love for me didn't and doesn't start with me. It starts with him. And I simply respond to that. So he says we're justified by his grace. This word justified is a legal term, and it means to be made right in the eyes of the law. So we may understand that like in, in you know, human courts, 
in courts of Tennessee or, or in America. If someone is justified in a human court, that means they've been acquitted and they've been declared righteous in the eyes of the laws of Tennessee or the laws of America. And this says we're justified before God. We've broken his laws and we're justified before him in heaven's court by grace. By grace. This means the gospel through the cross of Christ, the gospel offers justification by grace. Romans 5 says by faith, justified by faith, justified by grace. It's the same idea. Our faith is in the grace of God. So what do we conclude? That salvation is not a reward to the righteous. It's a gift to the guilty. You might say it this way. We are saved by works, Christ's work, not our own. We receive Christ's record. He receives ours. And there's this great exchange. He's our substitute. And we're justified by faith. We're justified by his grace. The gospel says this. God knows me to the bottom and he loves me to the top. Even though I've offended him and rebelled against his authority from birth and sought to lead my own life and constantly broken his law, He gave his son Jesus for me as a redeeming sacrifice. And now I can drop my defenses and say, I'm more wicked than I ever dared believe and I'm more loved than I ever dared hope at the same time. Both of those things are simultaneously true. Salvation is a gift. You don't work for a gift. If you do, it's not a gift, it's a payment. You can only receive a gift And the Bible says that salvation and being transformed, being being acceptable to God, er, gaining his favor, all those things are a free gift of God through faith in Jesus Christ. We're justified by faith. We're justified by grace, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Anything other than this is outside of the Christian faith. Anything other than this is self-salvation. You know, I read through the series overview as I was preparing for this message. And man, Josh does such a great job in our series overview bringing uh, this idea right to the issues we're facing here in Clarksville. And I'm going to read just an excerpt from the series overview if you haven't uh, read that in a while. He wrote, Many people who come from a military or religious background attempt to be their own savior through this form of self-reliant moralism. Some people attempt to interpret this story through recreating the standard of good to match their own preferences. A person who does this is considered brave, independent, and progressive and judges others based on their perceived ability to be comfortable with their own standards and choices. And I have a fresh picture of this. I'm an assistant coach on my son's midget football team. And uh, the other night at the end of practice, one of the coaches is like, You know, I I mentioned who we're playing on Saturday and some of you are, I I heard some kids go, oh no, I don't want to hear that anymore. What are you afraid of? And the coach goes, if you're afraid, then don't bother coming back to practice. And one of the other coaches goes, yeah, if you're afraid, go to church. And I said, why would he say that? And it just gave me a glimpse into like the, the doctrine of many people in Clarksville, the doctrine of be a man. The doctrine of, I got this. Just live a good life. Be a good person. Be, you know, uh, take responsibility. Work hard. And that, in a sense, is your moral achievement that gives you 
uh, status in society and maybe status before God. But if you're weak, if you're afraid, if you can't control your own emotions, if you can't control, then go, go find God, go, go find Jesus. And it's a complete misunderstanding of the nature of the, of the teachings of Scripture. Josh goes on to write in the series overview about this whole idea of uh, this whole be a man doctrine. He writes, but this does not work because they cannot be consistent with their own redefinition of what is good. And even their view of goodness changes over time. When they fail to meet their own standards, a sense of shame for not being the right kind of person who can be comfortable in who they are invades their hearts. And they must hide or rediscover themselves to maintain the illusion that they are their own savior. This causes trauma because they feel a sense of general unworthiness without a specific moral standard to point to which has been broken. Many people who come from a more urban, city-minded background attempt to be their own savior by redefining the standard of good through this form of self-reliant expressionism. Both of these attempts are simply two interpretations of the same false story of the world, we can be our own savior. But there's a subversive story that goes the complete opposite way of the world, the gospel. The gospel says we need a savior and that savior is Jesus. And listen, that doesn't make us weak and it doesn't make us lesser men. And it doesn't make us lesser women. All it does is it gives us a context to rely on something that is truly reliable. And that is Jesus Christ, his work on the cross and his Holy Spirit at work within us as our source of hope and faith and salvation, not ourselves, which will inevitably fail us. And I want you to notice the tense of this verse when it talks about justification. It says, being justified by grace. This, is, this word is in past tense. What am I saying? For the Christian, justification is the foundation. It's a done deal. You don't do justification. That's been done by Jesus. So this means that we are not justified by our works. If we believe that we were justified by our works, very bad fruit will be born in our lives as we're gonna see in our final point here. Okay, so what are we like? We're slaves. We're dead in our sins apart from regeneration. What did God do? He gave us spiritual power to be saved by grace. He showed us his goodness and his loving kindness. And what's the effect of it? My final point. Verse eight. This saying is trustworthy and I want, I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to do good works. Notice that the text that we read today doesn't start by saying, do good works. After telling us we're not saved by works, he finishes with this verse telling us to do good works. What's going on here? What Paul is doing here is he's laying out for us the cause and the effect of our salvation. We're saved, and therefore, we bear good fruit. We're justified, and the effect of that is good works in our lives. I'll say it this way. I don't do good works to become a child of God. I do good works because I am a child of God. And we don't flip that. The gospel doesn't say, do good works, and you'll be justified. I mean, that's, it. that's the experience of a lot of people who grew up in church. And I suspect a lot of people who grew up in church in Tennessee. That's a false gospel. That's called legalism. We have to understand the cause and the effect of the gospel of God's grace. The cause is God's kindness and grace, and the effect is good works. The cause is justification by faith and the work of the Holy Spirit, and the effect is Christ's likeness. And if you reverse that, you mess up the gospel and you lose spiritual power. 
If we say, I'll be good and moral and I'll live right, and the effect of that will be God's acceptance of me, then we become our own power source and we're no longer saved by grace and we lose spiritual power. That's why we say, and you hear us say it often, we're saved by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone. In Galatians, Paul calls what God does in our lives the fruit of the Spirit, and he contrasts that with what he calls the deeds of the flesh. I want you to listen to Galatians 5, verses 16 through 22, kind of a good, similar, parallel passage to what we're looking at here today in Titus. Paul writes, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under law. Now listen. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambitions, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. And I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now, I used to read this passage, and I would go, well... I better not do the bad things and I better do those good things to be a good Christian boy. But that's not what Paul is saying here. He's not saying, don't do this and do those things. I guess indirectly he is, but ultimately that's not the lesson. False teachers had come into the church of Galatia and taught that we're saved by works. They taught that you had to be circumcised to be saved. Another way to say it is you have to be culturally Jewish in order to be a a real Christian, a really, really acceptable to God. Paul said, no, 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 we're saved by grace. He actually mentions this group of heretics earlier in the book of Titus in chapter one and verse 10. He he references the circumcision group. So Titus was facing the same problem in the churches that he had a hand in. So here in Galatians, what Paul is saying is this. Here's how you know if you believed a false gospel and how you know if you believe the true gospel. There will be fruit in your life, whether good fruit or bad fruit, because what you believe is like seed in your heart that eventually bears fruit on the outside. If you believe a false gospel of legalism or moralism, you'll bear the fruit of the flesh because that's the seed you planted, even if you're extremely devoted and extremely religious and extremely obedient. False gospels leave you to yourself since we're slaves to sin without Jesus We can only produce what we are. And he says the deeds of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, etc. But if you believe the gospel of God's grace, that Jesus saves us and Jesus changes us, then you'll bear the fruit of the Spirit. Why? Because God produces God. God only produces himself inside of you. He can only produce who he is inside of you. And when his spirit is indwelling, he only produces himself. So when you believe in Jesus, his Holy Spirit indwells you and he reproduces his own character in you. So it says the fruit of the spirit. Did you hear that phrase? Notice, it's not the fruit of Paul. The fruit of be a man. The fruit of Derek. The fruit of Josh. The fruit of your mother. The fruit of your dad. It's the fruit of the spirit. That means it's a miracle. It's a miracle. It's just as miraculous as raising somebody from the dead. 
when you begin to bear the fruits of Christ-like character in your life when you were dead in your trespasses and sins previously. Because without Jesus, we're slaves to sin. We needed this power to work in us because we're slaves. It's called grace. Grace is not for those who can, would, could, and did. It's for those who can't, wouldn't, couldn't, and didn't. And aren't you glad? Because that sounds a lot like you and me, doesn't it? Josh put this awesome quote by Tim Keller in the series overview, and I just want to read that as we close our time. He says, the new birth, the regeneration, is the power that God is going to use to regenerate the world brought into your present. It's not complete, of course. It's only partial. It's the future coming into you. It's God's future present in your heart now. I love that. It's that renewing, regenerating power by which God is going to heal everything and remove all evil and all sin and everything, but it comes into your heart now, only partially, but actually. And that's what it means to be born again. So where is the new birth from? It's from the future. It's the power of God to regenerate the entire world coming into your life and heart now. And that is amazing. Amazing grace, right? Don't underestimate its power. Don't settle for little change if you are born again. And I'll finish with Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10, I think, which is a great summary of all this. I think it takes all of this, these ideas from Galatians 5 and your Titus 3, and it kind of condenses it into one simple uh, couple of verses here. Paul writes, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For... We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We're saved by grace through faith so we can do good works empowered by the Holy Spirit. I want to encourage you, brother and sister, your inheritance in Christ is freedom. It's joy. It's deliverance from the vices of the flesh, from the deeds of the flesh, but it comes through resting in the finished work of Jesus Christ. And when we begin to build our lives on justification by faith, we always go back to that. That's what it means to be gospel-centered, is we're always going back to our justification and realizing that everything we do, everything we become, everything we are, past, present, or future, is because of the grace of God. And so we continually depend upon that and the work of Christ and regeneration and the Holy Spirit in our hearts. And we encourage one another in these things. That's why we attend groups That's why we gather on Sundays. That's why we pray for one another, text one another, we call one another, to build one another up in these things. Let's do it. Let's do it together as we walk with the Lord Jesus as his family. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the powerful truths that are communicated to us through it. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us in our spirits to download Uh, Lord, uh, some of what we've heard today in a way that it would shape us and change us in the days to come. So we pray where we need to go, take us. What we need to know, show us. And what we need to be, transform us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We gather every Sunday at the Clarksville area YMCA. For more information, please go to our website at redeeminghope.org.